0: Evening, how are we feeling tonight? We feeling okay? Amazing, amazing. Um, Let's take a deep breath. I feel like God's going to do some sweet things tonight. We are in this series called Jesus Period. Let me hear you say it. Jesus Period. period. We just finished a series this summer um, in junior high called Who Is This Man? Going through the Gospel of John. If you have your Bibles tonight, we are going to be in John 3, if you could turn there. Um, Real fast before we hop in, D groups. How many of you made it to the D group launch this past Sunday? Let me see, show of hands. Varens, he made it, definitely. Um, If you did not make it, okay, that is okay. They take place every Sunday from 5 to 7 o'clock, okay? So I think around your chairs there's some little white D group cards. Miss Nikki's holding it up right there. If you want some more information about that, feel free to ask. Tonight, I have the honor and the privilege about talking on the love of God. The title of our sermon tonight is Jesus Loves. Jesus Loves. Now I think this is an important precedent for us to set. Before I hop in tonight, because when we begin to to talk about the the, the love of God, what we have to do from the beginning is we have to take our native cultural context and our preconceived notions and conceptions on what love is and set it aside. You tracking with me? So tonight I'm not going after the love that you think you have for your boyfriend or for your girlfriend. I'm not going after the kind of love that, that you necessarily have between your mother, your father, your brother, your sister. I'm not talking about the love that you have for your favorite sport, for your favorite hobby. I am talking about the love that God, in fact, has for you. Has for you. And it is profoundly different. And this is why that is important. Because if we do not have the proper framework... For what love is. If we do not have a good understanding for what love means, when we talk about the love of God, we can't frame it up. We put it in a structure where it doesn't belong. And ultimately what we end up doing is we start entering into these mindsets of I've got to perform for God's love. And, and I've got to condition into God's love. And all of a sudden we completely miss what God has for us. And so I want to do something bold this evening. I want us to do something bold this evening. Can we humble ourselves enough to simply ask God the question, Lord, show me your love this evening? Can you bow your heads with me? Jesus, I thank you that your presence is right here, right now. I thank you that you are pursuing every person in this room right here, right now. Lord, I pray that as we enter your word this evening, that it would speak for itself. Would you unveil our eyes to behold your magnificence? Would you unveil our eyes for us to see and for us to know the layer beyond layer of your glorious good magnificent, all-consuming love that you have for us. Lord, I pray for the performers in here this evening, those who are tiring themselves, trying to establish and to earn your love, would you grant them rest? In the name of Jesus. Would you grant them rest? Lord, I pray that you would protect my brothers and my sisters for where I might be in error as I preach your word tonight. And I just ask that your words would ring true, loud, and abundant. That you would have your way in our lives this evening. That you would be the one gives us ears to hear, that you would be the one who gives us eyes to see, that you would be the one to give us minds to understand and hearts to believe. So overwhelm us tonight, Father. We give this evening to you. Let your word be established. And Holy Spirit, come and do the work that only you can do. And if you agree with me, say amen. Amen. Tonight we are going to hop in to no doubt, probably the most popular, most popular passage of scripture of all time, of all time. I want to encourage you this evening not to see this verse as a beginner's verse, but to let God have his way with you. John 3... Starting in verse 16. If you're there in your Bible, say, I'm there. Awesome, all right. John 3, 16 says this, for God so loved the world, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. But have eternal life. For God did not send his own Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Verse 18 Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now when we read this passage of scripture, it is not difficult for us to see why this is on so many coffee mugs. It's not difficult for us to see why this is the ideal verse that a church is going to put on their billboard as people drive by. It is not hard to see why this has become a very, very popular verse because very few verses so profoundly sum up the gospel in a simple sentence. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. We get reality after reality after reality after reality in this verse. And it is no joke that we should see it is so important, so relative, so imperative as such a powerful verse that God so loves you you that he so loved you that he went as far as to send his own son to die for you that those who believe believe will not perish but have eternal life so profound and i think the danger of 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 being a church people of coming to church every week, of growing up in a Christian home, of, of having your social media riddled with people who 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 post verses and Twitter verses and, and you follow your favorite pastors and you follow your favorite worshipers, and you and we get kind of get saturated in this culture. And what we end up doing is we we begin thinking that we begin to outgrow this. We buy into the lie that you know what? That was me back when I was six, seven, eight, nine years old, but that's not for me anymore. I don't really need it, I get the idea, I know the story, I know that we had a God who created and that things fell and that, and that, that he sent his son to die and, and it says it in John 3.16. I get it. And we buy into this lie where, when in reality the sign of a mature believer is not that this gets old but we realize how much we need this every day that he graces us to wake up in the morning. Like the second I get up and I stop buying in to the reality and to the truth that I'm in desperate need of a God who so loved me that he sent his one and only the son, is a day that I begin to get in big, big trouble. I start walking in deep, deep waters that I do not have the ability to paddle through. For God so loved the world. I want to attempt this evening to break down this passage because the gospel comes so alive when we, we kind of go phrase by phrase and we see, we see how a God of the universe begins to shape. And in his divine sovereignty and in his divine providence pursues and loves you in such a way that you cannot fathom. And we treat it like it's just something we should put on a coffee mug. It's like, no. If we were to to just scratch the surface of what this verse means, your life would be transformed. A.W. Tozer has a quote in his book, God's Pursuit of Man. And he said, the Christian message rightly understood means this. The God who by the word of the gospel Proclaims men free by the power of the gospel actually makes them free. The God who, by the word of the gospel, proclaims men free, he says that you're free by the power of the gospel actually makes you free. He defines this as an inner migration of the soul from slavery to freedom. The picture we should get here is the people of Israel being delivered from the oppression of Pharaoh and into a promised land because of a faithful God. The power of the gospel, the word that proclaims you free by God's power actually makes you free. We're going to break down John 3.16 and we're going to let God get up in our business this evening. Is that okay? All right. John 3.16... Very first two words. If you're taking notes, I want you to track with me with these five phrases. If you're taking those five phrases, the first one is for God. I want you to remember Jesus is the one talking in this passage. For God so loved the world. We have the Son of God, the only begotten Son of God, one who is actually fully God and fully man, and he's referring to his Father. He says, God. God, the all-powerful, all-sovereign, sustainer of the universe, the one who fearfully and wonderfully made you, who created you in his own image. For God, the one who is worthy of our attention, the one who is worthy of our time. The one who is worthy of our energy, of our passion, of our effort, of our focus, of our thoughts for God. This one who deserves all the honor, all the glory, all the praise from every human being that has ever lived. And yet, all of us shy of one have not given it to him. You tracking with me? For God, the one who created you, the one who sustains you, the one who makes the sun rise in the morning, God, the one who is due your honor, your praise, and yet despite the fact that he knew he would not receive it from you, decided to pursue you anyway. And because we do not honor him, We are all perishing. And because he is a righteous God, he is not the one who is going to take all of our filth. He is not the one who is going to take all of your sin. He is not the one who is going to take all of your unrighteousness. And he doesn't just sweep it under the rug. No. He goes after it. He pursues it. He confronts it. And more than anything, he takes care for God. God, creator of the ends of the earth. Second phrase. We are gonna skip so loved because we're gonna end there. The world. For God so loved the world. Now the definition that John is using here in this passage is one that is predominantly defined as the created fallen totality. Of mankind he's talking about people not a planet let me show you what I mean John 7 7 if you should be about two pages over says this the world cannot hate you but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil John fourteen seventeen says this even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. What he is talking about is the mass of humanity. And he's basically saying, look, the world is those who don't know me and therefore they do not know God. The ocean of humanity. Fallen, broken, destitute, and in need. The third phrase... He gave. Oh, I love this. He gave. Two points about this that I think are very important. One is that this giving was from heaven to earth. Heaven to earth. John 3.17, go back there. Go back there. John 3.17, it says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. Meaning this, he sent his son from where? Heaven. He sent his son. He looked down on earth and said, okay, a need has to be met. I am going to send my son, for he gave his one and only son. Now the question that arises here that we must answer as we read this passage is, why was there a need To give. Why was he giving? John 10, 17-18, he answers this, for this reason the father loves me because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Let me give you a little word picture. I want you to imagine a father and a son who delight in one another. Who delight in one another. I remember I was in sixth grade. I was about to go into sixth grade. And my dad was like my best friend. I love my dad. He's absolutely incredible. He likes food a lot. And I will never forget, we went to Elijah's one day and he said, hey, I want you to find a way to, to just do one ride with me today. And we had all of our friends there and we had family there and we went into the park and I just lost track of time like that. And I just went hustling around with my friends. Came to the end of the day, never had a ride with him. And he said, I'm really bummed that I didn't get that time with you today. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he's like, but it's okay, you know, we won't worry about it. A week later, he calls me into his room. My father was in the Air Force, and he said, look, son, I got to tell you something. He knew I was about to go to school for the first time. I had been homeschooled up until that point, sixth grade year, prepubescent years, absolutely awful. I'm getting ready to head into school, and he said, son, I need you to come into my room. I got something to tell you. So I came into his room, and he sat down with me, and he said, son, I'm about to deploy the day before you start school next week. I'm going to be gone for most of your first year in junior high. And he sat and he cried and I'm sitting there with my mom and I just sat and I found I wept. I wept. And I'll never forget the day that I sat in the Colorado Springs airport and he took me on a final lap around as he did with all of his kids before he hopped on that plane. And he said, you're the man of the house. You take care of your mom take care of your sisters, you take care of your little brother, you be present, you be there. I'm leaving this charge to you. And I watched him go past security and hop on a plane. And I'll never forget the feeling that I had. Will I ever see my dad again? Two months before I was about to get out of school, I was in math class, miserable as ever. Because math is from the devil. (sighs) I'm just kidding. All of you engineers and science and math nerds, good for you. Okay? The world needs you. And I'm sitting there two months before school gets out. I'm coming towards the end of my first year of school. My dad's gone, and I remember the office lady, she walks into the room and she says, Tim Shepard. And I had that moment like, what did I do? It's like your heart drops and she goes, I need you to come with me in front of the entire class. And it's like you're in sixth grade. Everything is shameful in front of people. And I get up and it's like you start kind of walking. And it's like, this is the worst. She picks me up and then all of a sudden she picks up my sister. And we look at each other and like, what did we both do? Right? Like I could have swore they didn't see us fighting. And they take us to the front office. And in the front office, my mom is sitting there, and she's weeping. And my heart dropped, because in that moment, I, I thought, did I lose my dad? And in the moment of her weeping, and as right as I stepped to comfort her, my dad hopped out from around the corner. And we were one of those stories where both me and my sister we run to his arms and he picked both of us up, and us and our dad, we just wept. You imagine the picture of a father and a son who delight in one another. Absolutely love one another. And then yet, the father has enemies that hate him. And the father has enemies that want to see his demise. And the father's response is this, son. the light between a father and a son, the moment and the the thing that the father knows that he has to do is he has to give up the thing that is most dear to him in order that the people who hate him and yet he loves might be. for, or word for, believes. This passage is declaring something that's a little hard for many of us to grasp, and no doubt many of you are going to wrestle with as you go into your older high school years and as you head into college. Not everyone benefits from this sacrifice. For God so loved The world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes, believes that he is the son of God will not perish but have eternal life. I heard a pastor give this definition for believing. And he said it's embracing something as true. Embracing something as true. Now John who wrote this book. He intertwines another word with believing. If you could go to John 1, just flip a page over to the left, John 1, 11 through 12, it says this. And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive. I want you to underline that word receive. To not receive him, but to all who did receive, underline that word receive again, him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of god who were not born not of blood nor of will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of god brothers and sisters i want you to look at me making the statement that you have received jesus means nothing until you answer the question as what As what? You have received Jesus as what? Have you received him as the one who is there to conveniently make your life better? Have you received him as the one who is to come in and give you some kind of a moral code so that you can call yourself a good person? Have you received him as your free pass out of hell? What have you received him as? And the answer to that question should be, I have received him as what he is. King of kings, Lord of lords, the sovereign ruler of the universe, the one who through all things were made and nothing was made through him that was made. He is the word, the word that became flesh, the word that came and dwelt among us, the word that was with God in the beginning, and that is God. This is who he is, but is this who you have received him as? Saying that you have received Jesus means nothing until you understand as what. As what. Is he there just to clean up messes? Is he there to conveniently make your life better? Is he there to bring you prosperity, wealth, and health? Is he there to be Lord and Savior and ruler of your life saying that you have received jesus means nothing if you only knew if we only knew the depth of god's love for us there's more to enjoy there's more to abide in There's more to wonder and delight for all of eternity in because of his heart for you. And yet we limit it to the same perspective of the love we have for someone else. I have a babe for a wife. I'm just going to be blunt. Babe, can you stand up? Can you stand up? She's she's pretty amazing. She's pretty amazing. Love her to death. And my prayer for every single one of you who has the opportunity to be married is that you would delight in your spouse. That you would delight in loving your spouse. But there's something has to be understood. That the love I have. For my wife does not even scratch the surface of the way God loves me. Doesn't even scratch the surface of the way my God loves you. I mean, I think the world of my wife, I think she's beautiful, I think she's amazing, she has an incredible heart for the Lord, I don't know how I could possibly love her more, and yet it doesn't even come close to the depth and to the anchor in which my God loves me, and yet we kind of have this vague perception of that's what it's supposed to be. And I'm here to tell you, brothers and sisters, that he's coming after you for you to understand and for you to experience more joy, more peace, more intimacy, more adoration, more more, uh, uh, affection for his name because of his love for you. Do not limit the love that God has for you. I am well, well aware that we have addictions in this place. People walked in here tonight wrestling with a profound amount of things. Sexual immorality of all sorts. I know that we have, had pe- we have people walking in tonight that are wrestling with isolation, fear, anxiety tonight. I am well aware. There people who have walked in tonight who wrestle with any form of depression or mental illness. And what I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, is that His love for you has come to pursue you beyond every layer, every facet, every addiction, every imperfection, every sinful act that you walked in. There's only one love that can do that. You know the hard thing about marriage? Some really smart people did a study. And it was dumbfounding the results. The number one reason why couples get divorced. You want to know what it is? They had irreparable differences. It's like, mind blowing. The number one reason couples get divorced is because they have irreparable differences. No duh. Like, no duh. I just passed three years and we still disagree on so much. Like, like, so much it's like it's like no matter how hard we try our rhythms and our habits i think my way is the best way and she thinks her way is the best way and it's like there are moments where it's like you're going to you, you come down and it's like we have no common ground right now and i want to cut your head off except for the fact that we love jesus right Like this is what happens in marriage. And we buy into this absolute lie that when you get married, you are supposed to find the perfect one. And the perfect one means somebody who you can always resolve your differences through. And I'm coming to tell you, brothers and sisters, it doesn't exist. You're never going to find another human being who is 100% compatible. You know why? Because you're both human beings. Like, like, let's have a mind-blowing moment. You make the marriage worse when you entered into it. Like, we we buy into some life and it's like, oh, yeah, I made her better. No! Like, we miss it. It completely goes over the head. But, But track with me here. When we think about what perfect love is, what perfect love is, what do we think of? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not easily angered. It doesn't keep any records of wrong. It's unconditional, right? This is what we see in the Bible. Now let me ask you a question. If my wife was perfect, would I ever have the opportunity to learn unconditional love? No. Because she'd meet every condition. I would never have an opportunity to be slow to anger. Because she would be perfect. No. This opportunity to get to sit and despite my profound imperfections and her minor imperfections, right? Like that opportunity that we get to go, I get to see but a glimpse, a glimpse of a God who looked past beyond all my frailty And said, I am going to pursue anyway. I'm going to pursue anyway. If we don't have the opportunity to love each other beyond condition, we never have an opportunity to catch a glimpse of the way God has loved us. Are you tracking with me? Are you tracking with me? So that ends with our final phrase. So loved. So loved. For God so loved. Brothers and sisters, look at me. He so loved you. As in, there was a volume and a depth and a breadth weight to the love that he had for you. For God so loved you. For he so loved you that despite the fact that he had the perfect, intimate embrace with a father and a son, he so loved you. The volume and the weight to His love for you, for for Brenna, and for Zane, and for Caleb, and for Spencer, and for Zach, all of that weight that He had for you. He said, no, 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 I am not content with sitting and letting them abide in their frailty. I so love them that I am going to as much as sacrifice and give my only son to die for them. You know what I love about Good Friday? When we celebrate Easter, what what I love about Good Friday is that 2018 years ago, my God publicly declared that Tim Shepard needs a savior. Publicly declared it. He sat there and he said, boom, Tim's a bum. He's a bum. He's imperfect. He's frail. He's sinful. He's fallen. But boom, I loved him anyway. I pursued him anyway. This is the nature of his love for you. You know what the beauty of that is? Is we get to step into it. Not by performing. But by simply receiving. Can I have the band come back up? We get. To step into it, not by performing, but by simply receiving. You know what's sad in my heart? I'm going on my seventh year after graduating high school. I know, I look 13. <laughs> seventh year. And I have watched friend after friend after friend. After friend fall by the wayside. Friend after friend after friend after friend. Who despite the fact that they came to youth group in this room every week. Despite the fact that they grew up in Christian homes. Despite the fact that they got into their words, into their Bibles. completely missed, that this is the gospel. And you know what ultimately happens when we don't have this proper perspective of love? We buy into this lie, and it's a simple lie, that God is not content loving the you that is in this room right now the lie is that ultimately what God is loving is some future better version of you. The future better version that knows the word more. The future better version that doesn't have such a filthy mouth. The future better version of you that's not wrestling with any form of sexual addiction. The future better version of you that's not wrestling with depression or doubt. That's the one that God will love. But do you now, here in this room, preposterous. And I've watched friend after friend after friend tire themselves out because they bought into the lie that they got to perform to receive this love, that they got to somehow manufacture or willpower their way into being an object of God's love. And I'm like, you're missing it. You're missing it, for God so loved you. His volume, His weight to His love for you, despite your frailty here and now, despite how you walked into these doors tonight. He so loved you that, that he's, He asked you to figure things out. He asked you to get your life in line. He asked you to quit sinning No, for He so loved you that He gave. Without condition, He gave His Son for you, for you to do one thing, receive, receive. You guys know why our faith takes every religion in the world and throws it on its head? Because our faith is a gift from our God. It's a gift. He never once, never once in this book asked you to manufacture it. He never once in this book asked you to figure your mess out and come to him. No, he says, Come. I'm going to give it to you. All you have to do is simply receive. Receive this weight, this all satisfying. All enjoying contentment that God gives in His love for you. Never once as you walk into these doors will I, will Pastor David, Nikki, anybody ask you to perform or do something that's not real and that's not authentic. I know that you cannot manufacture faith. I know that you cannot manufacture belief. If we could, we would be screwed, it's a gift, it's a gift. For He gave His one and only Son, He gave. My hope and my prayer for you brothers and sisters tonight is not that you walk out of here feeling oppressed because you haven't measured up to some ridiculous, pathetic measure you have on yourself, but that you would walk out of here free to simply receive. Receive. There's no other way that you can get God's love. You can't earn it. You can't establish it can't make it you can't cultivate it it has to be received and what that should do for you tonight is give you the ability to do this it's not on you it's not on you can we bow our heads this evening and in fact can you find a space on the floor Just get on your knees if you feel comfortable. If you don't feel comfortable, that's okay. That's okay. And this is what I absolutely love about this message. The best thing about this message is that this is not just a message for those who walked in feeling so oppressed this evening. This is not just a message that is for those who are wrestling with all the addictions and the depression and the anger and the guilt and the shame. It is for you, but it is also for brothers and sisters who walked in here tonight feeling amazing, feeling close to the Lord, feeling strong in their faith. Why? Because this message does not get old to the people of God. This is a message we get the privilege of preaching to ourselves day after day after day after day why because he's worthy because it's not about you it's about him this is a truth that we have to receive day after day after day the problem with humanity is that we are a forgetful people we are quick to forget the things that god has done for us if you don't believe me Look at the entire Old Testament. Brothers and sisters, don't forget, if you came in here tonight feeling heavy, if you came in here tonight feeling oppressed, if you came in here tonight and you don't believe in God, you just showed up for the heck of it, hear me tonight, because I want to say it with boldness, that I have a God who's so loved you that He sent and He gave His one and only Son to come and to die for you so that those who believe in Him will not perish, but they shall have eternal life. That's the gospel, brothers and sisters. So I invite In this moment, as we head back into worship, I invite you to be courageous and bold and receive what God is initiating to you tonight. If you're sitting here in this moment and you're going, I don't feel it, I don't feel it, that's okay. God transcends your feelings. Let me tell you the prayer to pray, Lord give me ears to hear, give me eyes to see, give me a mind to understand, give me a heart to believe, and let Him have His way with you. I want my adult volunteers, my DMA ministry track students to come up here to the front. And as we head back into worship right now, a couple things, if you are wrestling, with anything that I talked about, you're wrestling with an addiction, you're wrestling with isolation, loneliness, and you need to hear this message tonight. Whether you are saved or whether you are not, the Bible says that prayer from a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective, and I wanna invite you to come pray with my brothers and sisters up here. I wanna invite you, and if you don't, that's fine. What I want you to do is lean in and begin to preach this gospel to yourself as we enter into worship. Preach this gospel to yourself. Ask God to to let you scratch the surface of that volume, of that weight, for how much He so loves you, and just let Him simply have His way. Let's worship.